This is A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards. I'm Jordan Rich, and this is the second part of our discussion about depression. In the first episode, Larry talked about his personal experience coming through the dark days back into the light. Today, we turn the tables and Larry gets to interview me for a change about my journey, one that I hope helps others, one that I'm happy to share. Welcome. It's time to sit down once again with Larry Ruttman for a great conversation and very moving and important conversation. And Larry, we decided to turn the tables a bit and do another segment, another key important segment on the subject of depression. Yeah, we did, Jordan. And I think that the reason we're going to do that is because as we demonstrated and uh, spoke about in the last one, we both have suffered depression. And a lot of our experiences have been the same um, because, uh, you know, depression has its common elements. But everybody lives it differently. And I see from the list you gave me of stuff that you felt or experienced that your experience was a little different than mine. And, you know, as we've always done on these podcasts, you've been a wonderful participant. You've never been just somebody who's there and leading it. You've always gotten into the conversation, stated your ideas, uh, given things to me that helped me go move on to other issues and answers. And you've been a great help, and I think you've taught me a lot about podcasting. So that... um, you know, I think we, we're sort of partners on this rather than an interlocutor and a podcaster. And uh, I think it's great. And uh, I love it. Now, on this particular subject of depression, since your experiences have been a little bit different, I think that what I want to do is shift around. And rather than uh, than being the podcaster, I'd like to be the interlocutor, the position that you have taken on the all the preceding um, podcasts that we've done. And I have your list of your experiences, and I'd like to ask you about some of those. So let me lead the discussion in that way, and, uh, you know, you'll get more time at the mic, but uh, you've been in front of the mic so many times (laughs) over so many years that uh, that's no problem for you. I think I can handle it. (laughs) I think so. And by the way, I'm very, very honored uh, to talk about this because I think talking about it and sharing as we said in the last episode, is very, very important to uh, help others. So, Well, the first thing I see in you, you know, we'll take it uh, as you've written it. I think there okay. are maybe 15 or 16 items and some of them uh, especially. Um, and the ones that we have discussed in the previous episode, if uh, we can cover those very briefly, uh, you'll know which ones. And uh, there are others that uh, will take a bit more time. Um, you put down what it feels like. Well, I think the word that we both used was horrific. But you may want to add uh, some uh, some of your observations as to what it feels like. I read a lot, and I'm a fan of poetry and essay writing. That's why I love to read your books, because they're so poetic. But uh, I'm stroking the, the interlocutor at the moment. But um, of all the descriptions, the one that I really found most intriguing was you feel like you're in a foreign land speaking a language that no one else is speaking and you can't communicate what's on your mind. That and um, when a movie like The Wizard of Oz starts out in black and white and goes to color, it's magical. It's as if the color just left. The color just disappeared. And we're back in Kansas with that sepia tone black and white. It's, um, it's, It's an alienation. It's a feeling of a loss of connection and and loss of joy in the moment, joie de vivre, 
which is really frustrating. And for some, it's devastating. You can't get out of bed. That wasn't the situation for me. Well, you know something, Jordan? You suffered uh, this depression at a much earlier stage in your life. I described mine as coming on in 1958, I guess, uh, 1988, uh, so that uh, that was, uh, you know, over 30 years ago. But still, I was uh, I was close to 60 at the time. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you first came? I was 37 years old. I can actually tell you the day that I felt it come on. Um, I woke up, and we'll talk about maybe what led to it physically, but I woke up. And my my head was spinning, not literally. I wasn't dizzy, but I just felt out of phase, almost as though I was walking in one dimension and everybody else was a few steps behind me or ahead of me. And that was 1995. Was was it like an out-of-body experience? Not really out-of-body. Just something was off. And for the first two weeks of this feeling, this – I called it – uh, and gave it a, a, a name, the creep, the creep feeling. I felt as though uh, I was just uh, on a loop that wasn't quite uh, correct and everyone else was sailing along and I was stumbling. And uh, it was confusing. It was as confusing and frustrating as there's nothing wrong with me. I said, why, why, why do I feel this way? You, didn't you say just a few seconds ago that you never had, the tr- never had trouble getting out of bed? No. Uh, I, I must pat myself on the back for one thing. Uh, I have very strong willpower. Uh, we'll talk about self-medicating and what many people do. I didn't do that. I just fought through it and, and f- suffered through it. But I was able to get out of bed and I felt when I was moving, when I was literally exercising and moving, and they say exercise is great for everything including this, uh, I felt at least – safe because I wasn't going to just curl up and cry. Did you ever fail to get out of bed and go to work? Uh, There were a few occasions. Um, One was – and I remember these distinctly. One was um, as a radio personality, I was called upon to do a lot of MC work and hosting events. One was (laughs) a movie premiere for a Disney film in Boston. And my role would have been going up on stage, introducing the cast of characters, being jovial and happy and and uh, smiling in front of hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And I just said, I can't do this today. I just cannot do it. So I, I called in with a, an excuse. I said, I have a toothache or whatever it was. You know, Jordan, I don't know why this came into my mind, but this morning Lois and I were driving out here. And before we left Brooklyn, we had to get gas, and we went to Elias Audi's gas station, and I mentioned that I was going out to do a podcast with Jordan Rich. Oh, Jordan Richie, we're going to see him on Sunday. Uh, you doing something for the Brookline Rotary or something like Oh, that? yeah. I'm not sure I'm going to actually get there. I, I promoted it on one of my features on WBZ radio locally in Boston. Oh, great. Well, so anyway, uh, uh, he said you're a great guy. I well, said Everybody in Brookline is terrific, including you, including the woman I married. But that's beside the oh, point. Oh, is she from Brookline? Too? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe you mentioned that. Um, I've never heard anybody speak badly of you. There has to be somebody out there I've <laughs> crossed paths with, maybe road rage. No, I I, uh, I generally – I love people. I love happy people. I love being happy and making people happy. So when we talk about depression, 
I'm the last guy in the world on paper that should have been depressed. Right? Yeah, but it's it's impossible to uh, prognosticate who's going to go down yeah. with the, this particular disease. It gets to people. Indeed. And as we've discussed on the last show, and we'll probably reiterate on this show, uh, sometimes it's really difficult to pinpoint where it comes from or what's causing it. I know you're going to ask me about some of the stages of healing, and maybe we'll get into that. But yeah, it's it's a it's an, a puzzle wrapped in an enigma. That old expression, because when one is healthy, and I've always been physically healthy, and I still am, and one is used to just going, 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 and then all of a sudden something mental stops you. Not physical. It's not a bad leg or a bum arm. It's this thought in your head or these series of thoughts that you can't shake that are making you feel like crap. And that's that's as – and you know it, Larry, because you've been there and millions and millions of people around the world have either been there or are in the midst of it now. Well, you know, it's interesting. To, I'm glad we're doing this because your experience, uh, you know, it is a little bit different uh, than mine. And um, I think that, um, I think that uh, all the – information and intelligence, so to speak, that you can pass along to people who may be experiencing it or ever do is useful to have. Well, anyway, uh, the first entry on your list was what it feels like. Uh, Maybe you talked about this just now, an experience made worse by depression. You're talking about a particular experience? Well, I'm a performer. It's what I do. I'm a radio performer, but I'm also a public figure, minor public figure in the Boston market. And basically, have a lot of in-person stuff to do. So I was a disc jockey on the air, but also a disc jockey at functions and parties. And, you know, how'd you like to do uh, a wedding and play the music and see people dancing and having fun and feel like you want to curl up and and cry in the corner? (laughs) I'll tell you one, though, uh, example of this, and that is being a morning disc jockey. And morning radio was all about being perky and alive and well and happy and promoting, promoting all the good weather and all that. And there were times where I was alone in the studio, and uh, this was during drive time, but I was alone, and I'd put on a happy record, and I would take enough time to go to the bathroom and just sob, just to get the tears out. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was was cathartic, and it felt like a relief, almost as though you're, you're releasing this tap that needs to be released. It's... Depression is just what the word suggests. It, you're depressing the emotions and depressing feeling and you lose the good feeling and the bad feeling takes over. So I would do that in the middle of a radio show and nobody ever knew. I never cried. No? Was that right? never cried. I felt really awful. You know what, what did it for me? I was crying because, A, I was – ticked off that I wasn't having a good time and I was losing time. I was all about time for me, losing this opportunity to be in the moment and actually be, this is more important. I was a young father at the time, you know, and I I hid it from my kids for most of their childhood. And it killed me to just put on an act. It killed me in front of them. I didn't act in front of everybody, and I'll tell you more about that, but it really made me so sad that I couldn't be the father that I am today, back then. Um, then the next entry you have is getting the courage to admit it. Oh, did you, yeah, you did you have, you had trouble telling people? Well, the first time I was told from a doctor, my regular doctor, that I had classic 
clinical depression, I did what so many people do, and I said, you're full of it. You're crazy. I'm not a depressed. How could I possibly be depressed? I know what depressed. Depressed means sad. I should be happy. I've got a great life, beautiful family, great job. But no, he said, no, you're, you've got all the symptoms. And so it took me uh, a good couple of months to come to grips with it and then start to deal with it. And that's another road traveled. But yeah, it, it's it's uh, the courage to admit it to yourself first and for, foremost. I later admitted it to my f- immediate family first and then my very, very closest friends, only my very closest, dearest friends. And then we can talk about this. I admitted it to the whole world. Well, I think you have and I think that uh, that's very courageous in itself. But I think that you really went the, the, the whole way. I mean, f- at first – Hiding it and then ultimately telling everybody uh, because I guess that uh, one might call that uh, a charitable or a – Well, for me, it was selfish because uh, I did it on the air. I had a late-night radio show heard halfway across the country because of the skip waves at night. And after many years of struggling off and on, it wasn't all the time. I mean I would have good times, periods of time when things weren't – were, it faded and then it would come back. And I finally said, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm trying to fool everybody. I'm just going to talk about this and see what people think. I'm not looking for sympathy or empathy. I'm just looking to see what people think. And when I had spent an hour talking about how I felt and what I was doing about it, opened up an entire world of people who had the same issues, you know, different symptoms and different ways to treat it. And that was my turning point. That was a huge turning point. That was 2008. Well, you know, um, from the way you tell it, I mean, it's obvious that your depression lasted a lot longer than mine. I described the depression, the major one uh, in my late 50s that lasted off and on for maybe a year and uh, up to close to a year and a half. And then very briefly in the summertime of 2002, I think it was, so that and since then, nothing. I've, I've felt, if not elated, quite happy every day. Um, and uh, I'm hoping it never returns, but it's been gone now for a long time. On the other hand, you describe a situation in which you had it chronically, it seems. It was low level, meaning it, it was never debilitative enough that I couldn't work regularly or couldn't attend functions and didn't, you know, it didn't affect it didn't even affect my physical health. I didn't realize how closely aligned physical and mental is until I got into healing. But um, I was able to sustain a pretty rigid, rigid schedule and do what I needed to do. And I got used to the idea that, well, I'm going to have to suffer through this wave. It came in waves. And it wasn't until 2012 that I finally figured out some some approaches, the approach, the approach that works for me, which I'm happy to share with you and the audience. But um, yeah, it was it was, and, and honest to God, Larry, I would think, oh shoot, here it comes again. I can feel that first little pang. It's almost like a a devil on your shoulder. Here I am, you know. Uh, and I'm very creative in, and illustrative, and when it comes to describing things, I I'm a storyteller as you are. So I would I would give this structure and feel and, and a look and a smell. And I knew when it was upon me and I knew, oh, cripes, here comes another three months of this nonsense or three days. I mean, you could never predict 
how it would spell out. Well, does that mean, Jordan, that when you didn't have it during this long period of time, you didn't think about it? Absolutely true. And I don't know if this was the case with you, but when it lifted and when it finally lifted for the last, well, time, for for the longest time, it was though, did that ever happen? It's the weirdest thing. I mean, it was such a relief that I just wanted to put it behind me. And I, I couldn't even – I right now, I cannot even – I can describe it, but I can't feel that feeling, thank goodness. I can't get to that point by by pretending, by trying. Thank God. <laughs> well, that matches the way I feel. Yeah. I don't think I can feel that way. I can remember how I felt, and God forbid I should feel that way again. Well, were people ever telling you, if you shared with them, Larry, snap out of it. Think happy thoughts. <laughs> you know, watch, watch a, a Laurel and Hardy. I mean, did they ever – say that to you? Yeah, because people who've never had it think that uh, there's something you can do to just snap out of it and you can't. No. Uh, we'll, I want to talk about my healing path because it's important, but I think you're right. I, you, you just – someone who's dealing with depression, which is a mental condition that affects hundreds of millions of people across the globe. Illness. illness. It's an illness. It's an illness. But it's no different than diabetes or uh, arthritis or any of these chronic illnesses You've got to stay on top of it. You got to, and you can do something about it. But the problem is when people look at you and tell you, and they don't mean harm, but they say, "Ah, oh, come on, think happy thoughts, change the subject, don't think about it." Impossible not to. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, we've touched on this: the stigma or overcoming it. I was. I've always considered myself a uh, an understanding person. I was not anywhere near where I am today in terms of empathy and understanding. It changed my life for the better. This was the I've never had a serious disease, thank God. I hope to stay that way for a while longer. Uh, people around me have had critical, uh, life-threatening, and in some cases, terminal illness. I never had, never had anything like that until I became depressed and learned that I was not alone. And also learned, and this is something I wanted to ask you, turn the tables just once. What it did for me. Anytime. What it did for me was it allowed me to uh, stop and think about what other people were doing when they were acting in an odd way. When they were angry, when they were ungiving, when they were ungrateful. Not that it excuses behavior, but I can understand knowing that these people are very much in the mind my boat of depression. It's not their fault necessarily. Can they control some of their actions? Of course, but it's not necessarily their fault. So uh, the stigma. I am supportive of any mental health programming, any mental health funding, and I think the problem is still, it's evident that we don't want to face it in this country, in this culture, maybe in all of Western culture. We don't want to face it. We, We excuse it. Uh, we don't take people who are seriously ill and not with depression but with other illnesses and and put them in places that we can help them. We allow them to just roam the streets and in some cases create violence. Well, some of the things that we read in the newspaper practically every day demonstrate that. Uh, you said you wanted to turn the tables. Was I? Oh, I just wanted to ask you about stigma. When, when, but prior to you having – 
your encounter, which you say lasted a year or so, did you have a thought about if somebody said that guy's depressed, did, would you think that there was something wrong with him beyond an illness? I mean, I mean I'm just curious how you thought about it. Well, I would say that I was, uh, you know, I was aware of it, and I've always thought of myself as a person who could sort of put myself in the shoes of another person. But that didn't mean I did anything about it, and that doesn't mean that I felt there was some obligation on me because I understood that they were ill. But after this hit me, I suddenly became much more empathetic. And now when people call me for help, I always try to help yeah. them in one way or another. I mean, if somebody that I hardly know says that so-and-so would like to have a copy of your book and they'd like you to, uh, to sign it and uh, put some nice thought in it, I do it. it. It For some of us, maybe a lot of us who've gone through this or are going through this, that is the, the bright side. There is, there is a bright side. First of all, healing itself, the pathway to healing, no matter what you're dealing with, is, in my estimation, a spiritual path. And it's not just physical, it's not just mental, but it's whole body and it's spiritual. But that idea that you can actually be changed by something, you know, people who have cancer diagnoses and they survive and thrive uh, are often changed. I was changed when it came to this. Well, I told you, I think I mentioned before, I certainly was changed and I grew up and um, I was always a sort of hypochondriacal. Mm. I mean, if they told me I had a melanoma <laughs> on my forehead when I was 82, I would have gone ballistic. And now I sat there and I said, well, you know, melanoma, I said, maybe hopefully these guys can take care of it. If they yeah. don't, hey, listen, I've lived 89 years. That's not bad. You know, I mean, I was much more, I was much more objective about my own situation and uh, nobody, you know, I'd like to live a lot longer. As I mean, that's sort of a strange thing to say when you're 91. But on the other hand, I'm probably more fit if that's the word. Oh, you're amazing, Larry. And people who know you, you belie that number. But no, it, I, I think it also screws with your sense of time. At least it did for me. Uh, I felt I was running out of time. And part of that was probably because of the schedule I kept and the fact that um, – it was it was almost a wake up call, you know. Slow down. <laughs> you're moving so fast that you you seem to have run out of life, and and that's that's also a gift, a gift that that gave me, putting time in perspective after it. Well, time is important to me too because I didn't expect at 91 or at any age to be an author, and um, or a successful podcaster for that matter. <laughs> and I have things on my mind that I want to do. And uh, so I'd like to stay healthy long enough to do them. I mean, if you know, who doesn't? Who, I, I'm no believer that I'm going anyplace when it's all over. So that's what I want to do uh, is to stay stay doing what I'm doing. Well, you know something, Jordan. I you know this is. Uh, I think we're thinking about a 30 minute show. I don't know how long we've gone. Uh, we wouldn't have time to finish all of these, but let me look for um, some that. Um, well, I'm going to comment on a few of these, Serge, and, and I want you to interject uh, if you feel that my little precis of what we're talking sure. about. Okay, you, you put down searching for help, trial and error, and I think the bottom line there is, look, you don't, you're not tied to the first therapist you ever went to, and if you don't get along, you don't seem to connect, you can try another one. You're not bound uh, to stay with them yeah. uh, or her, and you can go wherever you want. Finally, you want to make a connection with somebody that you feel comfortable with? 
I couldn't agree more. And uh, that took me a while to figure out. I didn't. I, I believed, as so many do, that if you have a doctorate or even a master's degree and you have an office and a placard on the wall, that then you must know everything. And I realized that's not the case. They're human beings too. And it, it's all about good fit and it's all about the the, the healer that you want to uh, help have help you. Um, so yeah, uh, therapy is great when it works. It's not so great when it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, go somewhere else. And look, the guy that I, that I thought did the most for me or did a lot for me, there were others that did. I mean, he was in bad aroma in the in the profession for various reasons. But for me, it was great because yeah. he, you know, he talked in the vernacular. I mean, he wasn't hard to connect with him. And, you know, he, it's, it's, a, it's a gift when people do any kind of healing for the body, mind or spirit. And I, I thank the Lord every day about 10 times a day for the people in my life who have helped me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there, are, there are people that are wonderful. Well, you put down medication, experimenting until it works, not giving up. And I told you a story when they gave me a now uh, a medication not used since the 80s or maybe the early 90s, Zipramine, how my heart started beating, this, that, and the other thing. Well, a medication shouldn't frighten you. And I, there were others that didn't work. And uh, there's no guarantee when it comes to antidepressants. But if they help, they were real help. Uh, they they can and do, and I know that there were studies all the time, and there was a recent one out of Great Britain that said uh, it's 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 no different than a placebo effect to something to that effect. And I, for me anyway, I'll just speak for me. Uh, my problem is the problem shared by many people dealing with this issue, with this condition, with this mental illness. And that is when you start to feel good. Let's say you're on medication, and after three or four months, you start to feel good. You make the big mistake of either quitting cold turkey or weaning off on your own, and sometimes with a doctor's authorization. I've realized, like a diabetic, and I'm not, but like a diabetic, I need to sustain good health by staying on these, these meds. And I never did it until 2012 and learned how to learn the right medicine uh, dosage, dosage from an actual psychiatrist who's also a therapist. So I went to the mat to figure out what would work, and it's a miracle as far as I'm concerned. So you're still taking some? I do. I do. I take it as a prophylactic. Well, okay. I don't think we've ever discussed this, but I do too as a yeah. prophylactic. I take it as a prophylactic, and I'm I'm not at all embarrassed or, or concerned about that. I think it's uh, – I have the the top expert in, as far as I'm concerned in, in Massachusetts who knows every inch of pharmacology and psychology – and I put my trust and faith in her, and uh, it's worked out very, 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 very well. No side effects, by the way. Uh, there are side effects to every drug. Aspirin has side effects. So for me, none. Well, let's make a point right here that people should understand is that, uh, you know, most people who get to depression, and I thought so too. I said, well, there must have been somebody in my family or this must have been brewing since I was a kid. I'm sort of a nutcake, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, but that's beside the point. Yeah. So uh, that the drug I'm taking is well known to replace serotonin in mm -hmm. uh, 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 is I think is the other one, that the body normally produces, but some people are in short supply of that. And if they don't have that, which that drug does replenish in your system, you can be in trouble uh, and get depressed. Absolutely. I believe there's a chemical c 
connection, of course. That being said, um, I don't think it's a uh, – no, I should do a negative. I think it's a very positive thing when you combine medication with some talk therapy. You have to talk about this with someone and a therapist who's going to consider everything you say to be totally confidential. That's their professional creed. That is professional credo. That is exactly what you want, in my opinion, the combination. Some people don't need medication. Some people don't do well with medication, don't need it. And there's cognitive therapy. I know you're aware of that. All kinds of things. But meditation. But for me, I believe my chemistry is what it is, that I need a little help every day. And that little help is fantastic because I – not high, by the way. I don't feel like I'm on a on a drug trip ever. It's not a uh, a tranquilizer either. It doesn't make me loopy. It doesn't make me sleepy. It just gives me balance. And do you still take the talk therapy every once in a while? Yes. Uh, it's like taking your car in for a 5,000-mile checkup. I – see my therapist uh, maybe three times a year. I didn't want to lose that lifeline. You know how tough it is to get doctors. I, and I said to her, and we've become, I don't want to say friends, but I mean we've become very close because she knows me as well as anybody. And I said, I'd really like to continue. And she said, that'd be fine. Whenever you'd like, check in. Well, this is interesting. Um, I think uh, Gandolfi, who have passed away, on that TV show, had a female. Oh, so, oh, uh, Tony Soprano. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that. Um, do you think that female therapists are better, the same as? It just depends on the individual. It, it depends on the individual, but I'll tell you, you, you quickly get over any sense of embarrassment or stigma to talk about anything with a professional. You know, Doctor Malfi used to talk to Tony, and she was there while he was admitting to, you know, wiping guys out. <laughs> it's a difficult situation, Dr. Melfi. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's it's great. I think the major, and I know we have to wrap here, but um, it is a jagged pathway to healing. There's no one size fits all. There's no immediate, you know, take a pill, feel better the next day. The medications even now still take perhaps four to six to eight weeks. You have to endure that. It's a giant pain in the butt, but once you get through it, if it works, it's great. And the only other thing I'd say, we've covered everything, I think, just about. Avoiding self-medication, it's very tempting to want to drink. or And I don't drink, but it was tempting for me to say, have a glass of wine when I normally wouldn't want just to kind of calm my nerves. That's not going to help in the long run at all. And sadly, Larry, and you know this, people self-medicate with all oh, kinds yeah, of Oh, yeah, they do. And they, uh... Shopping, sex, drugs, alcohol, you name it. Well, I'm so boring that I never. <laughs> I am too. I never had. I never had an alcohol problem. Never got drunk in my life. Never took drugs. I mean, so I had built-in safeguards. Plus, my wife observes that I never met a meal I didn't like. Listen, uh, I got into not meditation. You know, sitting cross-legged and going om. I didn't do that, but I I started to listen to guided meditations to sleep and I still do every single night and uh, I borrowed I, I a little piece about I mentioned spiritual connection I think it's all personal to an, an individual we all have our sense of spirituality and connection but it bolstered it for me because I needed to I needed to lean on God a little bit my sense of God did, did you go to temple for this no I, I I did anyway but I didn't 
change any of my cultural approaches, but I would have conversations with God, and I would, and I would. Oh, like I had with my monitors. Oh yes, yes, indeed. Tell me more about that. Didn't I tell you about that one? We have to do a podcast on. Oh that. yeah, go ahead. I'll tell you all about my all right. conversation all right, well, with my twelve from the twelfth century. Gee, well, he was a smart guy. I I I always say. God is really tough and can take a punch. So I would yell and scream at God. Oh, and, sure, he can take a punch. And 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 God was was patient with me. I wasn't patient at the time, but I'm now learning patience thanks to him. Her. Take a quick gander at the rest of these points that we've run, so run out of time. Are there any you want to address? The only thing I'd like to say, and I know you echo this, and you did it in the first part of our series here, and that is... There is help. There is hope. Uh, now, I mean, there are treatments for the most severely depressed. There are uh, electroshock therapy, and that's not scary anymore. It's not what it was in the 50s and 60s. There's ketamine, which is showing promise, believe it or not, under controlled conditions. But more importantly, you, you're not alone, and you feel alone, but you're not. And people are kind, and people will help. And just conversing and having a cup of... Uh, herbal tea, perhaps, with someone is just the, the best medicine anyway. And as you know, and the world knows, we've come through the worst isolation period in modern history, and it's caused a lot of people to be depressed. So it's important now more than ever to reach out. If you feel down and it's not going away for two weeks, call someone, ask for help. Well, thank you very much, Jordan, and um, I'm glad that we did uh, go sit in each other's chairs, so to speak, because you've told us so much, and you're so articulate in telling it. And I think that um, I think these two shows uh, demonstrate to people what Jordan was just saying, that, uh, you know, uh, what depression is, what you can do to combat it, that it ends at some time, that you can recover from it that people are with you. And I certainly hope that these, that this relatively short time of maybe a little over an hour, which represents two long podcasts, um, has some bearing on your thoughts about a disease from which you may be suffering or which you have suffered from or will suffer from, but is very common to mankind. Mm -hmm. Both of us seem to have recovered fine. We're doing very well and in the world, and uh, so can you. You've been listening to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards. Larry and I thank you for listening and remind all that there is help and hope for people suffering from depression. The two of us, Larry and I, are living proof. Till next time, be well.